to what the word of the Lord says. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, say suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake and waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, about a year ago today, I I was on that sea or that lake, which is funny. Like you forget that it's a lake. And so I kind of felt like, is this your lake? (laughs) This ain't no Lake Michigan. It's not that ginormous, but it is pretty big. And it's hard to see the other side of it. And the the Sea of Galilee or or this giant lake is known for sudden and quick storms that would just kind of pop out of nowhere. Now, it's interesting that these disciples were freaking out. Many of them were experienced fishermen on this lake. So it's not like they've never been on these waters. So for it to be such a bad storm that they are terrified of losing their life speaks to how crazy the storm was. And so here they are, they're they're having all this incredible ministry with Jesus. They get on the lake and then all of a sudden there is a life threatening storm hitting them from every side. And when they look to Jesus, what's he doing? Sleeping, which also speaks to Christ's humanity. And he had been doing a lot of ministry. He was tired. We talked about Sunday naps on Sunday, right? I mean, he needed that nap. And so they look at him and they saw him sleeping. They're they're worried. They don't think he cares. They go to wake him up and Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes the storm. And there's some really interesting thoughts that I had when it came to this that I think is important for you and I to understand when things happen like that, when there's sudden changes in your life. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. What's sudden for you is not sudden for the Lord. It's important to remember that. What is sudden to you is not sudden to God. He knows everything already. He knows what's going to happen. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. The problem is the disciples, they were freaking out as if Jesus didn't already know. They were concerned, and it's almost like they had to remind Jesus, hey, uh, there's a storm. We're going to die. You're not doing anything. And sometimes when sudden things happen to us, we treat God as if he doesn't know what's happening. We treat God as if he's not sure of how this is going to come about. But listen, Isaiah 46, verse 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. That phrase, uh, seeing the end from the beginning, meaning he sees the whole picture. He already knows how this is all going to play out. He has an exact understanding and purpose behind it because he says, all my purposes shall come to pass. Meaning, listen, God has a plan. God has an understanding. God has wherewithal. And so we don't need to freak out as if he's asleep at the wheel, not knowing what's happening. We don't gain anything except doubt and insecurity when we believe that God has no understanding of what's happening. Just because it's sudden to you does not mean it's sudden to him. 
Just because you didn't see it coming doesn't mean God didn't see it coming. And there is a confidence that builds up when you recognize, you know, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I know the one who does. I don't know if I'm going to get accepted into this school or not, but I know the one who does. I don't know if I'm going to get this promotion or not, but I know the one who does. I don't know how this sickness is going to end, but I know the one who does. And when you have confidence in the one who knows, then you have more confidence in the fact that you don't know. It makes it a little bit easier because you realize, you know what? I don't have to know as long as you know. It's like, even for me growing up, I remember uh, as uh, uh, my older sister, my oldest one, Maribel, when she was learning how to drive and, and she'd start spitting off all these streets, right? She'd be like, oh yeah, it's over by Cicero and Bloomington. And I'm like, oh, how does she know all the streets? And I remember thinking to myself, like, I can never memorize all the streets. How could I ever drive? I don't know. The but you know why I never had to worry about it? Because I never drove. Because I just sat there and let somebody else worry about it. As a matter of fact, I don't know if y'all felt like this, but growing up, did you guys not feel like Kitty Land was the farthest thing from this planet? I thought Kitty Land was so far away in my mind, and now, like, I go to Costco every week, and I'm like, this is a 10-minute drive. But in my mind, because I never worried about the trip, I never thought about how long it took. And sometimes we need to get to that place where, listen, I don't need to know where we're going as long as you know. I don't need to know how we get there. Like my wife, she don't ever worry about it. So you're driving, I'm not worried about it. She stopped driving almost 10 years ago when we got married. She's like, if you and me in the car, you're driving. I was, that's the deal. That's what we've agreed upon. I don't remember agreeing upon it, but apparently that's what we agreed upon, that I do all the driving. And so I never look at her and go, hey, should I make a turn here? She's going to look at me and go, what do you mean should I? I'm not your GPS. You know where you're going. And in the same way, we're in the passenger seat on this journey with the Lord. Man, Jesus take the wheel, literally he's driving. He's guiding you. And so when you have confidence in the one who's driving, it's a lot better. Versus some of y'all are teaching your 15 year olds, 16 year olds how to drive. You do not have confidence in their abilities. And that's why you're freaking out. You're hitting the imaginary brake on the passenger side, even though there isn't one. And so if you're feeling like that, it speaks more to the lack of confidence that you have than confidence. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the other thing I wanted to touch on, and I think this is important for us to recognize, is that God's silence does not equal God's absence. God's silence does not equal God's absence. Sometimes it feels like God is no more silent than in those moments where you feel like you need him the most. There are those times when it feels like all hell is breaking loose and the storm is raging and the boat is getting filled with water and you're, you're waiting to hear the instructions from God and you don't hear anything. I imagine again, as the disciples were in this situation, they look around and they don't hear Jesus. They probably heard all the other disciples screaming. I'm sure every one of those who were fishermen was barking orders, we need to do this and we need to do that, but they didn't hear Jesus and that must have unsettled them. And sometimes as we're going on this spiritual journey, when things start to get crazy, it feels like God's voice starts to disappear. And so what we think is, well, if I can't hear him, it's probably because he's not there anymore. And if we're honest, I think we've all been in that place where we feel like, man, I just feel like God's abandoned me. I feel like God's left me. And that's nothing new. Read the Psalms. Half of them are like, God, like, are you still there? Do you even care anymore? 
Listen, Psalm 42, verse three through six. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God and glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and the Mount of Mizar. You know what? The, the best thing to remember when you don't hear God is the last thing God said. When you don't hear God's voice, remember the last things he said. I love what the psalmist says, man, where are you, God? But you know what I'm going to do? I'll remember not where you are now, but where you've been, what you've done. Man, if we can learn to really take spiritual inventory of the things that God has already accomplished, it makes going through some of these challenges a little bit easier. When you're going through this season where you feel like God is silent and, and you don't know, think back to the last time you felt like God was silent and you didn't know and then he showed up. Think back to the last miracle God accomplished. Think back to the last time. Think back to God's track record in your life. And think about the fact that if you were faithful then, and I love what the psalmist says, I praise you. Hey, last time I was in this situation and you came through and I was worshiping you and I was crying out and I was sharing a testimony, I was so excited. I'm gonna remember that because even though I'm not in that situation yet, I will get there again. I'll remember it. Just because you're silent doesn't mean you're absent. Because the last time I felt you were silent, you were at work right in the background making all things come to fruition. It's a trust thing. It's not an absence thing. We have to learn as we go through these things to understand that God is ever present. His word tells us all over again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is never a moment where God is going to depart from you because you're going through a difficult season. But I will say this. It's funny how when difficulties come up, we try to lean a little bit more in. Now, the, the waves are crashing. The disciples are, are going through it right now. They're feeling like God's not caring or not paying attention. He's literally asleep. And then they wake him up. And it's interesting. The first thing that Jesus says is, why are you so afraid, O ye of little faith? And I think it's important to recognize that fear and a lack of faith are linked together. Fear and a lack of faith are linked together. I love what Craig Rochelle said, he's from Life Church. Um, what you fear most reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear most reveals where you trust God the least. Some of us, we fear in areas that we don't control. And because we can't control it, we're afraid it's not going to happen the way it needs to happen. And that's the area where you don't trust God. Some of us, we fear God uh, with our children. That's where you don't trust God. Some of us fear, you know, the situation in our marriage. That's where you don't trust God. Some of, oh, here's a big one. And it's probably the most common one when it comes to finances. We see a bill coming up. We see a situation happening where we're uncertain of how it's going to come up and we start to fear. You know what? We do really dumb things when we're afraid. 
I remember one time um, there was this like character from a Mexican movie that I was always terrified of as a child. And it was, I guess it's meant to be a comedy. One funny to me, this lady freaked me out and I was always terrified of her. And my siblings to this day never forget about that. And so I remember one time we were at like my grandpa's house and my sister Evelyn, you can go tell her I said this, Pastor Evelyn, she's flicking through the TV and we're just sitting there watching TV and it just happens to be the program on. I get up and run to the kitchen. She chases after me, turns the TV on in the kitchen, puts it on that. I run back to the living room forgetting the TV was on in there and then I just, I squat in the middle, start crying and I'm like, turn it off, turn it off. And then I hit her, okay? So <laughs> you, you do dumb things. I should have just left or gone to a different room. But when you're scared, you're not rational. When you're afraid, you do things that you wouldn't normally do, just out of fear. And a lot of times, when we fail to trust God, fear begins to well up within you. And when you're afraid, it's fight or flight. Or in my opinion, you either run from God or you fight God. Because there's fear that's coming up inside you. Listen, 2 Timothy, Paul talking to a young pastor says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith you first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Notice the juxtaposition there. He's saying, listen, the reason you don't have a spirit of fear is because you are strong in faith. When you are strong in faith, fear flees. When you are strong in faith, that doesn't mean we're never afraid. It doesn't mean, I mean, obviously it's a human emotion, but we are not gripped by fear when we're gripped by faith. There's a, there's a trust that kicks in. I mean, look at Jesus. He was in the same boat they were in with the same storm raging. And yet he had such faith that he could sleep in the midst of it. It did not faze him because he knew the father would not let this end here. His purpose and plan is not yet fulfilled. Jesus knew there's not anything here that can touch me even a raging storm that can collapse his boat. I mean, I guess, he's, I guess he just thought he could get up and walk on the water anyway. Like, it's not, a, it's not a big to do to him. Do you have so much faith that you can sleep on some of the most difficult things in your life? You know, that's fear is what robs us of our sleep. It's what robs us of our peace. And there are some times, I remember one time I, I went to go visit a uh, an older gentleman who was on hospice and kind of in his last days and a friend of mine asked me to go and, and comfort him and just speak to him. And so I went in and those are always, you know, little a bit awkward situations. And I remember I didn't know the guy, I knew his son, but I didn't know the gentleman. And so I sat down and spent about 15, 20 minutes with him. And he spent that entire time comforting and encouraging me. And like, I would try to get, and he was just blessing me and loving on me and encouraging. And I remember as he's doing, I'm thinking to myself, yo, this is what I'm supposed to do for you. Like I came to comfort you. But he has such a strong faith and peace that he's like, no, no, let me not. I think he saw my face. I think he felt like, let me comfort you. Let me help you because you don't get what I get yet. And I remember that messed with me for a little bit. And I'm like, how... 
How are you comforting me? Listen, when you have faith like that, there's nothing that'll take you off of it. There's a strength that rises up where you start now to give faith to others. And it's not faith in the outcome, it's faith in God. See, when you have faith like that, it's not about the outcome, it's about God. Like whether this happens the way I want it to happen or not, I still have the Lord. Whether this turns out the way I hope it does or not, my faith is in God, not in the outcome. And that's why I think Jesus rebuked the inner storm before he rebuked the outer storm. He gets up and he doesn't immediately talk to the wind and the waves, he talks to the disciples. Before he calms the storm, he calms them. He rebukes them. Listen, I think a lot of times when we cry out to God, we expect God to immediately stop the situation and, the, and whatever it is that's causing us to fear. But God is going to check you before he checks the situation. God is going to speak into your life before he speaks into your situation. Because sometimes we're not gonna be able to escape the situation. Sometimes God is gonna get us into an even harder situation after that. But when he speaks into you, not only does he prepare you for the situation you're in, but for the ones to come. And God will always calm the storm within you before he calms the storm outside you. Again, I think in our hearts, we want God to stop the circumstance, right? To make them stop doing that to me, to you know, make the situation better, to, to open things up. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna take the weight off you. I'm gonna make you stronger to carry the weight better. That's what God does. He doesn't take it off. He picks you up. And when he picks you up, then you can manage whatever storm is going through. Listen, John 14, verse 7, uh, 27. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Can we just pause for a moment and recognize how incredibly precious that gift is? To have peace of mind and heart. You know how many billions of dollars are spent around the world to try to buy peace of mind and heart? What, what people wouldn't give to receive peace of mind and heart. What does Jesus say? I gift it to you. But here's the difference. The peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The peace of God and the heart that God gives us can only come from the Lord. You can't manufacture that. You, you know, you can't just look in the mirror and say, stop being afraid. Why are you freaking out? Get over it. It doesn't work like that. You can't muster it up. You can't read your way through it. It's a peace that can only come from the Lord. That's why, as the scripture said, the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know what that means is, it means that nobody gets why you have that peace. Like it doesn't make cognitive sense. Like based on the situation you're in, how are you not freaking out? And it doesn't mean we're not concerned. It doesn't mean it's not happening or fear isn't kind of going in, but it's fleeting. It's not settled in me. Why? Because I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. A gift that the world can never give you. You know, money's never gonna give you peace of mind. Success will never give you peace of mind. You can have all that and you'll still feel worried, you'll still have troubles, 
No accomplishments, no degrees, no amount of family members or children or grandchildren will ever give you peace of mind and heart. That is a gift that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus wasn't mad that they woke him up, right? If you go back into that, yes, he rebuked them, but he didn't rebuke them because they woke him up, because he was cranky. He didn't rebuke them uh, because he was mad at them and, and wanted them to go away. The rebuke was a reminder, I'm already in the boat. I'm in this with you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. The good thing about storms is it can drive us to get closer to God. Worship team, if you can help me out. You know, nobody was bothering Jesus when the water were calm. They let him sleep. But when the storm raged, all of a sudden they run to him. And look, can we be honest with ourselves? Sometimes it's the storm that drew you closer to God. It's the storm that made you lean on him more. You weren't bothering God. You weren't, you, weren't, you know, hammering. You weren't hitting up all your friends for a prayer meeting <laughs> until you got that medical report. Until you found out about what was going on, until you were looking for that promotion, until you were hoping that mortgage would come through. Like, again, sometimes, not that God causes the storms, because if you look at it, when he rebuked the storm, there's a sense, and some theologians kind of feel that there was something spiritual about the storm, as far as the supernatural attack. That somehow the enemy thought, well, I got all the disciples and Jesus in the boat, so I'm going to cause this storm to wipe them out. Again, that's such that's so not an option that Jesus could sleep through it but there was something supernatural that Jesus had to rebuke but when you recognize that he's in the boat with me it makes things a little bit easier to manage I know for me in my own personal life that understanding of not being alone in some of the hardest situations where you feel the loneliest is sometimes more than what I need. I just need the comfort of knowing that your presence is here, God. And I know that if your presence is here, then come what may, I'm gonna be all right. Because I'm looking for your presence, not just for an outcome. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. And I'm gonna ask the worship team in a moment to lead us in a song. And would you take a moment just with me, if you don't mind, would you bow your head for just a moment, close your eyes? I want you to just think to yourself. I want you to ask you, is there a storm going on right now in your life? Might not be a raging storm, but is there something that's making you uneasy? Something that's robbing you of your peace? Something that's causing you not to sleep well? Is there a storm going on in a loved one's life and it's even affecting you? Hey, it's not my theme, but the person I care about the most is going through this and so it's affecting me. Is there a storm inside you that you need the Lord to speak to? To call? One of the most amazing byproducts of worship 
is the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we worship God, when we lean into his presence, we lean into that peace. So in a moment, I wanted you to, to worship with the team. I'm gonna ask Pastor Jason, team, would you minister to us for a few minutes? And by minister to that, I don't want you to sing, church. I just want you to receive. And if there is a storm, we want to sing and minister to that. The Holy Spirit would begin to calm that storm. Not, not erase it, but bring peace into it. Because Jesus calmed the storm in them before he calmed the storm around them. And so, why don't you just kind of open your hands, just as a way of receiving. And worship team, would you just minister to us for a couple of minutes and then we'll join you together as you lead us. But let's just take a few minutes and receive tonight.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we can lean into your arms, God. No matter how crazy the storm is raging, there is peace in your arms, Father. Lord, I pray for the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray even now, God, I don't know what the circumstance is for each and every individual, but I'm grateful that you do. I don't know what the outcomes are, but I'm grateful that you do. I don't know where everybody is, but I'm grateful that you do. So, Lord, I pray, would you speak into those situations now, God? Lord, would you speak that very word that they need to hear right now? That word of comfort, that word of peace, that reminder that you are in the boat with them, God, that you would never leave them or forsake them, that you have not forgotten them or ignored them, God, that your silence does not mean your absence. Lord, give them the strength and the comfort of knowing that you care deeply for them, Lord. That you take care of the birds in the air and how much more valuable are we to you. Bless them, Father, and help them to receive that. Whether the storm dies down or not, lift them up, almighty King. That they may not just endure, but be more than victorious. Thank you, Lord. Church, I want to pray specifically for two of our members tonight. If you would help me with that. Uh, first, we want to pray for our Brother Marcel, who is one of our ushers. Um, he had beaten uh, a battle with cancer, and uh, they just discovered uh, it came back, and he just started treatment um, all over again. And um, I know there's, there's a storm raging in that situation. And then I also would like us to pray uh, for Brother Carlos Hernandez. Uh, I'm not sure if many know him by name, so we had his picture there. You definitely recognize him because he is the incredibly well-dressed man who smiles at every person who walks through that door when you walk in. Uh, Carlos had a, a little bit of a spell a couple of weeks ago, and uh, after his doctor yelled at him and made him go get a bunch of tests, they actually found a cancerous tumor on his pituitary gland. He's getting surgery tomorrow at 9 a.m. to have that removed. But I got to tell you, when I called Carlos just to talk to him, it's what I talked about earlier. He was encouraging me. He was making jokes. And he just said, Pastor, it means so much that you and the church are praying for me. There's so much encouragement in prayer, even if the person doesn't hear you praying. Because our prayers will reach where maybe our words will never land. So can we pray for these two precious brothers, Brother Marcel and Brother Carlos? Can we pray that God's healing touch would come upon them? Can we pray that this would be another powerful testimony of his love and goodness, his kindness? Come on, church, we just begin to lift up your voice right where you're at. We just begin to call on the name of the Lord. And as if it was your own diagnosis, if it was your own spouse, your own loved one, your own son, your own father.
that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, Father, we thank you for these men, Lord. Lord, we thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for Carlos, God. We thank you for this precious brother that greets us every day. Every Sunday, Lord, at that door, God. He never fails, oh God. So, Lord, tomorrow, won't you greet him, oh God? Won't you greet him in those physicians' hands? You, the great physician, the master of all, won't you greet him tomorrow, oh God, and let his blessing be that you kiss away this cancer, God. Lord, you go into that pituitary gland, oh God, and you cleanse it and you make him ever went whole, oh God, that he may be able to come once again, oh God, and greet us with his precious, precious blessing of him being at that door, oh God. Oh, Father, greet him tomorrow with your healing virtue, oh God. Be that great physician that we know you are and show yourself mightily in this man tomorrow, oh God, who has served, has served you, oh God, with gladness at heart, oh God. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus that you will meet him and you will kiss this cancer away oh God oh Lord and he will live to tell about it oh God oh hallelujah for he will be glad to come into your house once again oh God and greet your people oh God and Father we pray for Marcel oh God Lord healing is not reversible with you oh God you don't take back what you have given oh God also, Father, we pray for Marcel, oh God, what you've done once, oh great physician, you will do again, oh God. So, Father, we pray, God, that all fear will be dissolved, that, Lord, one is having a surgery and one is going another route, but all roads lead to Jesus, that great physician. So, God, go now to Marcel, and, Lord, Lord, I pray that his wife will speak healing because there's power in the tongue, oh Lord, because the words, oh God, come from you. Our words have no power, but your words have healing virtue. So Lord, as Laura prays for him, let those words be healing to his flesh, healing to his mind, and let him see the great physician once again active in his flesh. Let it be so, oh God. Let him not shrink back in his faith, but let him step out of that boat like Peter and let him look at the master's face and say, I have seen the healer of my flesh. He's done it once and he'll do it again. Oh God, let it be so in your name. We ask this, Lord, and we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the because we know in whom we trust the great I am. And she
Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you because we know that when we speak, you listen. And who are we, God, that you would bend your ear to us? Except your word reminds us over and over again. We are your children. So, Father, I thank you. Lord, I know we live in a world that has fallen. I know there's going to be storms from time to time but a constant will always be you. So Father, we pray over the needs that have been brought forth tonight. We pray over every situation that is represented and even the situations that aren't represented here, God, but are very much real in the lives of people who call Belmont their church. Lord, we just pray blessings upon them. We pray that the seeds of these testimonies would bloom and bear much fruit, God. And that on the other side of this storm, there will be lives that are transformed because they recognize and have seen what you have done in those you love. So we thank you for that, God. We honor you and we love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Ariel, if you'd help us out.